Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, April 9th, 2020, otherwise known as Name Yourself Day. Wow. I guess that's See, a day where you pick a new name for yourself? That's that's not that great of a day. I think well, this is a more important week because it's, uh, I believe it's one of our favorite makers' birthday week, Jimmy DeResta's. Oh, shout out. Should happy we all birthday sing happy to Jimmy birthday? DeResta. Happy birthday, Jimmy DeResta. The godfather. Happy BD. Yeah, he, re- he really is the, the godfather of making on YouTube. He is an extremely think- nice guy. I will say that. I've only met him in person, I think, three times just at the three workbench cons. And like, I honestly have no clue if he knows who I am or like has ever seen one of my videos. But regardless of that, like he always like makes conversation and you can just see he's like genuinely nice to everybody who comes up in contact with him. And he's the kind of guy that definitely forms a crowd around him. I always when when people ask me what he's like, I always say he's exactly what you wanted him to be. Like he he lives <laughs> up to the expectations. Yeah, he's not he, playing he's, a character. Right. He is that eccentric. He is that charismatic and he is that nice. Kinder words have never been spoken. Exactly. So what have you guys been up to? Yeah, what's going on? How's the bus going? Is it raining in Joshua Tree? It has been for the past couple of days, but that's okay. I'm Doesn't locked down. You? I've been in edit mode and oh, I'm going to nice. be releasing episode of the bu- uh, episode one of the bus this week. Ooh. All I have left is adding voiceover. Snap. Dude, I'm so excited. All I've got to do is add voiceover, add music and a couple final touches and that puppy's ready. It now, only took Jeff Lowe to get on your ass to get to get it done. No joke. Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> Man. OK, yeah, let's let's talk about this because two years I basically made no progress on it, but it still was this thing that was always there and it was always taking up some space in my head. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't going to do anything to it for two years, I had definitely thought way too much about it and I talked way too much about it. But then once I finally got going on it, progress is really moving fast and I'm enjoying doing it so much. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the way it always goes. I was so intimidated by it. It's, it's a, is it intentional selective procrastination or was it that you just needed to marinate on it longer? Because there's a lot of projects that I have that are just like that. Yeah. There's some of, and it's often, you know what it is? It's often some of my better or bigger ideas I put off the longest. And I can't tell if it's because I want to save them until I really figure it out so they can be perfect or if it's just that like, there tend to be bigger, more complicated projects that I, I'm putting off a lot of unknowns until I have a, a clearer picture of how to accomplish them. I agree with you with exactly what you said, the way you kind of separate projects that definitely happened. So with the bus, I think there was a couple of things which I've talked about before. It was it was a little intimidating. I'm not going to lie, where there was just so many unknowns that I tried to th- figure them all out before I mm-hmm. got started. Impossible. Shouldn't have done that. Yeah. because what I found out and what people talk about all the time is once you just get into something, you just kind of put the blinders on to an extent and you do the thing that's immediately ahead of you. You make progress and then that progress snowballs. And then the thing that was holding you back, whatever it was, the plumbing, the electrical, not knowing exactly how to build a tiny house. I mean, that's a big project. The combination of them all together is seemed insurmountable. But if I have one day and one problem, I can solve that. And then I do it again. And then I do it again. And I'm realizing that it's just 
a bunch of small problems combined. And if I separate them and take them one at a time, it's not that big of a deal. And I shouldn't have let that happen. Let me ask you this. So you're editing or putting the finishing touches on episode one. Like when you last were working on the bus, what, or do you know what episode you're working on? Yes. Yes. So I'm doing six episodes. Episode one is what I, what I've been calling the blank slate episode or the clean slate episode, whatever. That's where I just get everything kind of nulled. The electrical, the plumbing, the framing is sort of out of the way, as well as all the paint. That -hmm. way, whenever I do each room, the bedroom, bathroom, living room, kitchen, it doesn't have to be about the infrastructure so much. It's more about the build out of the space. Hmm. Are you, um, bra- so are you going to break down the episodes that way as rooms? Exactly. Yeah, that's the nice. idea. And I've looked at other like school that. bus channels and I think, yeah, I agree. Thank you. I've looked at other school bus channels and I think what they're doing is breaking up their content too much. There's some really good resources out there and stuff that I've been using where it'll be a video about installing the shower pan in the bathroom of mm. a bus. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's really helpful helpful for anybody Googling that specific thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not an expert. I haven't done this before. So a lot of what I'm bringing to the table is learning on the fly and sharing the experiences where things went right and where things went wrong. So being able to package an entire bathroom into one episode and it be more of a what what to do and what not to do, but also a big inspirational or aspirational style of edit and content. I think that's what I can bring to the table and where my sort of edge is at relatability. Nice. How long are they? Is the first one coming out? Sitting right around 20, 25 minutes. Okay. I think it's like 23, but they're coming out great. They're basically TV show episodes. I've been really putting in some production, but I wanted to go back, Ben, whenever you were talking about the projects, the one other thing I was going to say with what was holding me back or what was making it this thing where... I took on other projects that also had unknowns, but why was this one the one that was not making progress? I think it was like the potential of it too. I really think that this project has a lot of potential and I didn't want to screw it up. Yeah. And I think that's a through line, the potential. Yeah. So let's dive into that. I I, I see this as a consistent trend amongst people that do nonlinear or what would more conventionally be called creative work is that you there's a tendency to kind of the most challenging meaningful and and self-defining stuff gets pushed off the longest cuz it's got to be right or something like yeah, that exactly. right cuz yeah. there's higher stakes to it right and, and and i think it's what's different between this type of work and sort of when i've had 9 to 5 jobs when you have a 9 to 5 job you do the input to get the money as an output relative to your time. But it's not every single moment isn't defining or isn't representative of who you are as a as an individual, as a creative entity. So there's no downside really. There's no there it's a, a the, the floor is really high, but the ceiling's really low. Mm-hmm. Right. When you when you're doing independent creative work, the ceiling's extraordinarily high, which is why you have this high motivation to work ex- like just massive amounts of hours every single week without it feeling really like work. But the floor is also really low because you feel this is representing and it's an, it's an expression of who you are creatively. So you don't want to mess up the best opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. And so 
it's one of those things where that pressure builds on everything else. But I want to hear from you guys. Where where have you experienced this before? I know an obvious example, Ben, would be the container house. And I and I do want to relate all of this to it. But what are some things other than that? The glass, the glass deck, right? Okay. So that deck I made out of glass block, I had such a clear vision of what I was what it was going to look like. And it ended up looking exactly how I wanted it to look. And but it took me so long to getting to do it just because I had such a clear vision of what it was supposed to look like. Right. That I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because I was like worried that something I was worried that the sort of day to day financial and business obligations of my work would get in the way of me actually doing it exactly the way that my vision had sort of predefined it for myself. Because mm-hmm. we all take shortcuts sometimes just because out of expediency and like deadlines come up and you get behind on one thing or, you know, some sort of global pandemic happens and it kind of slows up some <laughs> of your workflow from this really important DIYs that you're doing. Right. No. <laughs> so <laughs> life happens and then you don't always have the same time real estate to lay out something exactly to a really clear vision that you have. And I think that it was that hesitation of and that project was one of the reasons why I moved away from any sort of schedule whatsoever Mm. is I was putting that project off because I couldn't fit it into a weekly schedule. And I was like, wait, 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 this is this is all wrong. So I was I was building. So remember when I recycled that muffler and just like painted it and turned it into a planter? I do. Yes, it's fine, but it's not a great project. There's, but that shouldn't be taking up your time instead of an idea that's exactly. as good as a glass deck. So I was spending a week to build that just chasing shitty, that check. stupid project <laughs> when I had a much better idea that I really was excited about. And, and forget performance of, of that. Just there's one project where I was excited about it creatively. And there was one project that I knew I could do in two days. and And I... It bothered me so much that I halted the the one that I was excited about simply because I knew I could do the other one in a short amount of time. Right. Yeah, that's that's kind of a bummer. I remember that Instagram post that you did like this week where you were talking about sort of being interested in the glass block or whatever, whenever you were, and then the development of that idea over time. And I thought it was cool. I, what was the sort of caption? Because I don't remember off top. Yeah. So I remember growing up as a kid, we had sort of a like kind of a piggy bank or a change jar where it was a glass block and there was a hole cut in the top of it. So you could put change in it and it fit really nicely on a bookshelf. And it wasn't like a round jar. It was this, you know, orthogonal square thing where you could mm-hmm. see how much money was in. And I think it was someone who originally cut a hole in the top with like a sandblaster or some sort of Dremel tool for a like goldfish bowl. And then my dad reused it as like a change jar. So I had always been aware of like, oh, wait, this is a brick. Like the idea of a translucent brick is so crazy. I mean, like, yeah, imagine if all Legos were clear and just what that would look like optically as, as you built a castle out of it. So there's always been that intrigue. And then whenever I saw them in architecture, it was always these cheesy kind of Miami Vice looking 80 80 style houses, right? Now, those 80 styles houses are cool now because we're far enough away from the 80s. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But 
It's all coming back around. In the early 2000s, there wasn't enough distance for them to be cool. They were still cheesy. So Ben, I got a building right by my house that you can buy that is that exact style. Right. Now now it's oh, almost, really? now it's oh, back. Yeah. It's where oh, my, we're gonna have to talk my about tax this. guy used to used to be in it and he just moved and I think it's vacant. Oh no. But oh no. When I was in architecture school, one of my architecture professors showed me we had this class called analysis. And it's a it's a great class. It's 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 only a two unit class, I think. And you just look at famous, not even famous, you look at great architecture. And you draw reactions to it. You sketch it out. So they'll show you a photo. And a photo has all the information there. And mm-hmm. then what you get graded on is how quickly you draw a, just a very quick diagram. So how do you draw like the 15 second version of a photo? Right. Where, ah, okay. where, where you would. So the, it's almost reverse Pictionary. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So you're pulling out the things that are most intriguing or like right. hit you the most. So it makes you sort of not focus on the details. It makes you focus on the essential qualities that define design. Ah, so cool. It's, it's a fantastic uh, exercise. And he showed me this this house. It's not like super famous architecture. It's it was called Maison de Verre, which means house of glass. And yeah, it was it was this house made all out of rubber, steel and glass. If you do like Maison de Verre, you'll, you'll see pictures of it. It was way ahead of his time. It's like it's just such a cool building. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 It, it's it's incredible. I don't know if I know how to spell well enough to find it. <laughs> you'll, 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 you'll. All right, Chris and the listeners, this is yeah. going to help everybody now that I think about it. M-A-I-S-O-N-D-E-V-E-R-R-E. All right. It's in Paris, baby. Wouldn't you know it? Built yeah. 1928 Ooh. to 32. Yeah. So Pierre Charot, amazing architect. Uh, not not one of like the most famous ones, right? So he's not like in the Spielberg or Tarantino class. He's in more of the, the I don't think who would be Guy like Ritchie? the directors. Uh, Too Guy good. Ritchie's Too lately good. has not been that great. So uh, would that be like maybe like Coen Brothers? Oof, yeah, they're, they're yeah, maybe like that. Maybe Cohen Brothers or Safety Darren Bro. Aronofsky. Oh, okay, right. That's like, Mike's favorite. Yeah, back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I made an Aronofsky reference. I think in one podcast, and if there, I got a lot of DMs about people that were delighted by the sort of inappropriateness of that reference. But so yeah, Maison de Verre. That was a, and that that's when I sort of saw this thing that I was that appealed to me as a child that I just thought had a cool tactile quality and a lot of potential. But then I saw as a young adult as being used in really cheesy 80s Miami Vice architecture, which I now think is ironically cool, could be used (laughs) in this like really elevated, like fantastic way. And the room in particular is it's probably like a, a 16 to 18 foot tall room with a piano in it. Oh, yeah. And there's a steel grid and then there's a grid of the glass block within that grid. So everything's just gridded, but it doesn't feel simple. It still feels very complex and beautiful and ethereal and all the things that a good architecture is. So, yeah, like projects like that are are meaningful because I feel like one, there's a there's a physical design challenge. I had to like drive an excavator up a hill. I had to dig stuff out. We had to do stuff with LED lights. We had to figure out a way to make it actually match the vision that I had in my head. And then the the content that came out of it wasn't just like, here's a picture of a sofa or some perfunctory thing. It was these really incredible shots of 
this glowing little alien launch pad in the middle of this desert landscape. So it was something that was so obviously artificial and man-made, but yet it doesn't really feel, and at least in my perspective, that it's antagonistic to like the cactuses and tumbleweeds that are all around it. So projects like that are important to me. Like I like them. They're 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 inspiring and they're fun and I'm completely engaged with them. But why was I putting that off just so I could like, you know, patch up and paint a muffler and turn it into like a very cheesy Pinterest style planter, right? Because because that because it's easy. Right. <laughs> I was about to say because that project had no unknowns. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right, Chris, your turn though. Well, that was a- that was actually been that was a very fun little clip of the podcast. Thank you for the for the <laughs> seminar. Honestly, I really enjoyed that. We need to be doing more things like that. Chris, was the yes. project similar like that with you? Before I get into that, I will say that Ben he reminded me of something from my childhood. He was talking about his piggy bank glass block. I remember we had this one. Maybe you guys have seen this before since both of you drink a little bit of alcohol. It was, so it was an alcohol bottle, this big one, like, I don't know what kind it was, but it was in this kind of like faceted glass bottle and it was on a hinge. So there were like two, like it had probably like a marble base or something that was like real heavy and then two like posts that come up the side that hinged into the bottle and like how you would pour it, you would like rotate it on that thing. Have you guys ever seen a bottle like that? I have not. That's new to me completely. And that it wasn't was my its piggy own, bank. Dude, it wasn't its own little thing that you pour whiskey into and in like a no, like no, an intermediary a, vessel. I don't think so because I think it was like you know what it might have been. So my grandpa owned a bar okay. when I was little, and so it might have been like something that like they just send to bars as like a fancy display for like when somebody orders this kind. You know, just so it's like more of an experience. It could have been something like that that like you know you wouldn't buy it at a grocery store or whatever. But yeah. they send it out to a bar. It was probably something Got like it. that. I'll, I'll try to find it. I bet you my parents have it at their house. It was it was a weird, like I used to play with that thing for hours, just like dumping out the change and putting it back in. But to get back to the original question. So this is, it's actually something that I'm working on right now. I was like literally working on it before we got on the podcast. It's very different from what yours is, Mike, but okay. very similar in one way. So it's making plans, which is like something that's, been on my horizon or, you know, on my to-do list forever. And And not to interrupt you, seems like a complete no brainer. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's such a no brainer. But so, so the, the way that it's similar is that it represents a potential big shift in how I proceed. Whereas I know that like, you know, it's not like you're going to just do all buses, but it's this bus (laughs) for you is kind of like a test case in this type of like production. Of yeah, doing it's, like it's a whole like house di- and a larger project and all that. You nailed it. So they're very similar in that way. And like with the plans. So actually with Richard, the guy who edits the podcast, he and I, prop, I don't know, that's how I met him was actually through, uh, we were working on making plans for me and I was doing like, you know, more traditional kind of written plan and like not to toot my own horn, but they were really good. Like they were well produced. <laughs> I had Richard like doing all the graphic design and artwork for it. He was doing a bang up job for it, but like, it's still, I was like, oh, these are really good, but like, they're not ready yet. And so like, hmm. it's one of those things where, yeah, just like it has, not that it's going to be perfect, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And so like, I would start and then I would stop and then I would start and I would stop. And I think that is just as you guys were saying before, that is one of the big reasons that we procrastinate on these kinds of things. I also think one of the reasons that I procrastinated on it, on it and I think this is true for you too, Mike, is that 
opportunities kept coming that got in the way of it. Oh yeah. Where like, you know, you work so hard to get to this point of having opportunities come to you. It's really hard to say no to something because it's like, nah, I just want to focus on this bigger thing. So that definitely got in the way of it too. And like now I finally find myself in the place where I can do it. And so like I've been draw. So I mean, with the plans I've talked about on here before, the basic idea is like video plans, full written plans, templates if needed, like the full kit and caboodle for somebody who legit wants to make this project that we, that they see us building. But I know like so much more time is going to go into producing that than producing a regular video. And even like the amount of time that's spent designing it, because with every other piece of furniture that I design on the channel, it's really a prototype. Like it's really like, here's my first idea that I worked out some of the kinks, but like I didn't really get to spend, you know, two weeks thinking about the design and getting it to a place that I really, really want it the way that somebody who's designing and selling furniture like and has a a line of furniture is getting to spend that time and make several iterations. So like this dresser that I'm working on for a a plan right now, I, I probably have 12 drawings of bases that are like so mildly different. But it's because oh, like, yeah. I, it, yeah, the like the difference in the video or whatever, like it wouldn't make it that much of a difference. But if this is something that like people are going to be spending a lot of money and a lot of time to build, I want to take that extra time to just like get it as good as I can get it for them. So right. yeah, I mean, that, that would be my thing, even though it's very different. That's the one that has been my sort of, uh, I don't know, my white whale of a project, at least for now that I've just been it's, putting off forever, but I knew I had to get to eventually and, and we're doing it's it. It's big potential. It's, yeah. it's that thing with big potential, whatever, for some reason, keeps holding people back. Right. And it's not even to say that like, like we put this pressure on ourselves as if you've got one shot and if you mess up, like you can never do it again. And that's not true. Like you totally can, but it would be nice to not stumble out of the starting block. But there's Agreed. different kinds of pressure. There are, well, there is entrepreneurial pressure the pressure to make this work as a business. And there is an artistic pressure to make sure that your work is reflective of all the things that you define yourself by. Mm -hmm. And those things can be at odds. And I think that's sometimes why the entrepreneurial side, for me at least, has always been easier. It's always been easier to define, oh, this will make money and therefore will progress me in my career. Whereas the artistic things are, are much more ethereal and harder. So I think sometimes I push off, I put off or procrastinate on the harder to define things in favor of getting easy wins they still know are good for me. They give me more optionality, they give me more income, and they give me more resources to do the things that I actually care about. But it's, you know what it is? It's like playing a video game where you just keep leveling up forever even to the point where it's not actually time efficient because you haven't moved on to a place where you're actually getting more resources per time action. All right, so branching off of that, here's a question for Mike about the bus. Ooh. Do you feel, if you feel that pressure, do you feel more of that pressure in terms of like how the actual bus comes out and like, you know, your vision for whatever the bus is or is the pressure, do you feel more in terms of like what the content ends up being, like the way that you package it and put it together and that comes out going into it it was the build i was very concerned that i was gonna do a shitty job and it wouldn't come out well enough that i would be proud of and be happy to share and and share my experience with Mm -hmm. i've been delightfully surprised i can scribe cut guys i can scribe (laughs) i can scribe a weird wall and make it match 
I was so surprised. And I know I just said that, so I don't mean to repeat myself, but everything I'm cutting is tight. I've got, I've given myself sort of this like eighth inch margin of error whenever I'm scribing lines, whenever I'm making weird cuts that are matching weird angles and I'm hitting it and it looks clean. And so I've got zero pressure in terms of how the build is going to come out now. Now that I'm into it and I realize how clean it looks, that's gone. And I've got this first episode almost completely edited and it's fire. Um, I really took the time to do, you know, OTFs, which are called on the flies in the production business. Those are all those classic like talking head segments that a TV yeah. show will cut to. Like what you, you had know? on Instagram the other day where you were walking out of the door of the yeah. bus. You like, <laughs> yeah, nailed shared, it for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I shared that on my Instagram story. And I, I'm doing the things that I know I need to do to bump the production value up. I'm really taking the time yeah, to like you get, hired a cameraman. Yeah, I'm really getting good intros and outros, <laughs> um, <laughs> getting killer thumbnails. My thumbnail for this first episode, I'm very excited with. And so the, the nervousness around the content, also gone. So I feel great. And Chris, if I could give you any advice, just do a couple of free plans, my man. Free plans, my man. If Dance. the quality level is the thing that's deterring you from going all in on something, just build a really nice piece of furniture that you're happy with and do some free plans that don't hold you to any level of quality in terms of obligation so that you can get it out. You can see what the response is. And if you do it once or twice, you'll see where the hiccups are. Obviously, producing a more robust video is its own challenge. Yeah. But if it's if it's the plans themselves, maybe it's a cool idea. Yeah, I think there's a there's something in specific to the way we do things, which is building and designing for content. Mm -hmm that makes us not repeat i think we don't repeat ourselves enough although i'm I'm sure there's people in the audience that would say oh you kind of do the same thing that's all you do very often but i was i was looking on instagram at i really like to watch people that make in a totally different material or medium than what i do that's like Agreed. my favorite stuff to look on on instagram so this guy, he's a potter or ceramicist. I'm, I'm never sure which one it is, but he's just really good on the potter's wheel. And if you go on Instagram, it's just at tortoise. He has like, you know, almost a million followers. He's puts out some just ridiculous content. And he's a like supreme sort of tech or he's technically so competent. It's all, you know, he's not showing like, Oh, I'm, you know, today I'm using a rolling pin and then cutting slabs. It's like always on the wheel. It's always symmetrical vessels. So the, the, the focus that there isn't a lot of design variability. What there is, is a lot of like technical detail variability and descriptions of, of how he defines what his excellence is. So it's sort of the opposite of what I do. And what I've been seeing recently is that I actually probably should repeat myself more often. And that's been something I've been experimenting with this year is I went back and said, oh, I've been doing this a while now and my audience has grown. So I should do another Lego and concrete experiment. And I'm really glad I did. That video is doing quite well. So I keep thinking I've already done that. I moved on. My conception of myself is was incorrect. And, you know, sort of if you're if you're a craftsman, you're going to repeat yourself because that's how you develop your craft. If you're sort of people like us, which are more, I guess, sort of explorers that share our explorations and making along the way, we learn things, right? Like, Mike, you sort of doubted your, you you might have had some sort of hang up of being like, how am I going to cut? I'm so used to cutting with a circular saw or a track saw or a table saw 
how am I going to build inside this like more organic curved environment made out of sheet metal? Yeah. And then you forgot that you had developed some sort of skills with a jigsaw along the way. Right. Yeah. And I guess I, the, the point I'm getting at is that I'm really wrong in how I assess myself or define myself all the time. And anytime I think like I know, oh, this is who I am or this is my skill set is and, and say, oh, therefore, I shouldn't do this type of project. More often than not, I am wrong in those self-assessments. I've always thought of myself as kind of like someone without a lot of like physical skill in making. But then I had forgot that I've now been doing this a long time. And then suddenly I realized, oh, no, I can actually cut a circle with a jigsaw. That's like pretty damn good. That, yeah, I don't see that a, creep. I don't see the creep. Right. You've become above average at, at some things in right. making. Not in the classic sense, but yeah. You know what it is? It's like my friends that have kids, they don't notice their own kids growing. But if you have like nieces or nephews, every time you see them, it seems like they've grown like three or four inches. Totally. Yeah. So for our own sort of skill or ability creep, we don't often see it. Mm, oh, cool. speaking of the, the, the glass, weird glass bottles, this is something I had to bring back. Heineken, back in the day, and I think this was only in Europe. There was a time I think that I think there was some sort of housing crisis or some sort of tough financial times. And Heineken started selling their beer in a rectangular bottle that could be used as a glass brick. And the idea was, if you drink enough beer, you could build your own house out of all the bottles. <laughs> so they actually made these beer bottles. I think now they're like a collector's items and they're really valuable. This will be a fun Google assignment for people. And if you find it, post it on your Instagram stories and tag uh, Modern Maker Podcast or any of us in it. because you know, we'll, And we'll reshare it with the group. <laughs> That's some good marketing right there, though. They, they made these <laughs> glass bottles that kind of like plug into each other and stack on top that could be actually used. So you could literally drink your way into a new home <laughs> normally it's the other way but that's pretty cool <laughs> well tight uh what are you guys obsessed with what have you been in the tool world what what's new with you guys whether it's in design or making is there something that's caught your eye nothing they caught well i guess we haven't really talked about like what we've been working on new i know well i yeah, guess we kind of kicked it off because you were talking about the bus but oh that's been, true i'm sorry i've been doing no no it's all good mike let me guess chris mid-century modern furniture Nope, plywood furniture. Oh, hey <laughs> If you can believe it. I've done what so a much. stretch. Dude, I have so much plywood. But uh, <laughs> I'm doing my, uh, we're starting in on like the kind of office renovation for, for the workshop. So we're doing the, the desk built for two. Heck yeah. As we speak, all out of plywood. Kind of like a, I guess it would kind of go back to your guys' days of uh, the, the podcast studio. Of, what, I don't know, three or four months ago, whenever you were doing that. Because it's a desk, but it's also kind of like a set so that we can mm -hmm. film things in there. So we have it where it's like at an angle. And it's funny, like, so what we were doing today is we had to, it's got like a bunch of like 30 degree angles, the way that everything comes together. So everything's like kind of triangulated in it. And like, there were a few pieces that were like, how are we going to join these? And we wanted to try to do it with pocket holes, but we had to get like very creative in the way, or not very creative, but we had to definitely like finagle with it to make it work. But like it worked super well. And it made pocket holing feel like a different tool or technique. Like it really elevated it in my mind as like a like the way that it can make like a very clean looking 30 degree joint, which was basically yeah. we had to I had to like pretend like I was drilling on a lot thicker of a piece. So like, you know how normally you set it to the like, you know, if it's three quarter inch material, you 
pull the little thing up until it clicks to three quarters. I had to pretend that it was a lot higher because of the bevel cut. If I treated it that way, it would like go shooting way through the material. It just, it's hard to explain that. Like it'll be in the video, (laughs) which it'll come out, I don't know, a week or whatever after this podcast. But like the joint just came out so clean. Like there was no cleaner way I could have done it. Like if I tried to use dominoes or something, it would have been worse. Whereas like you always, people always like tend to think of like, I don't know, pocket holes as like a, a, like a worse version of dominoes or something like that. But it was actually like the cleanest people, execution of it. People get this. dogmatic or romantic about process. And yeah, process is just to get you to the end. And exactly. if hot glue works well and it's the best thing for it, then use hot glue. If pocket holes are, it doesn't matter if there's a perceived hierarchy where this type of joinery is a more elevated skill set. If you're doing something That only applies when you're doing something that's already predictable and totally known. So if you're doing something that's unusual geometry or something like that, you don't actually know that dominoes or mortise and tenons or pocket holes is going to be the best until you experiment and try. Mm -hmm. And if you change the game, you get to change the rules about what is the appropriate way to do things and what is the right way to do things. It's kind of, you know, I think the thing that it's like people that think, that wine with a metal cap is inherently inferior because they're associated with the the traditional sense of, oh, wine should have a cork and a cork is this authentic, you know, natural material. A metal cap is a better way of sealing a wine bottle than a cork, period. It's a better technology. It works better. And so what happens there is that people's associations of what they feel is associated with craft and quality is actually incorrect and scientifically flawed but they stick to it because they care more about the ambiance of process than the actual functionality and impact of process you know i just don't like those screw tops because they assume i'm not going to kill the wine bottle come on (laughs) who's resealing no (laughs) but really screw so with that argument screw caps are like they're like the crocs of wine (laughs) It's like they're superior in every way. You can wash them. They're indestructible. They're breathable. There's a point where every argument is taken too far. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I'm going. (laughs) And Crocs is... Crocs is too far. That's a fact. Well, this would actually be kind of similar in that. So let, let me see if I can explain it the best I can. So, okay, if you had a a bevel cut that you put on a piece of plywood that was at 30 degrees. And so you're trying to like perpendicularly join two pieces, but instead of being a 90 degree angle, it's a 60 degree angle. Yes. So if you did it with dominoes, you would have whatever bevel degree you cut and you would have to perfectly replicate that angle in the way that you drilled your domino. If you're slightly off or on either way, it's only going to touch on one side of the bevel because they're just not in the exact same angle. The thing that worked so well with pocket screws was that it's going to suck the thing together and the angle that it's going to create is all based off of whatever that face is. Like the pocket screw, it really didn't matter what angle the pocket screw was at and you couldn't change it anyway. It's going to be at whatever angle a pocket screw goes into the face of a sheet of plywood or a piece of wood bat. And so it took like a, instead of being a two-step process to create an angle, it was a one-step process, which is impossible to mess up if it's one step it's going to be whatever you cut it at so you could actually do any angle you know that was like within the tolerance of the screw and it would be perfect if you did it that way whereas it'd be very hard to do that with a domino which is you know typically a much more sophisticated tool 
And you glued the seam, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Boom. you just put glue on the face of it. Yeah. But it, it's, yeah, it's no strength issue. And it, you know, if the pocket screws are in a place where you're not going to be able to see them, then you're going to end up with a cleaner joint. I want to see this project. Well, a week and a half or maybe a half, half can of I a give week. You, Let's can, I give you, can I give you the one thing that I learned from doing those podcast studios? What's that? Everything is a lot lower than you think it is. Like what? I mean, well, I know how tall a desk is. I was about to say, well, just remember <laughs> that when you sit down in a chair, you're only making it to like four feet up. Like with the with the Flagrant 2 studio over at Schultz's, I wanted to make it as high as I made it. That way they would be able to film standing up and have some more versatility in the space. Mm-hmm. But just remember, when you're sitting down, you're real short. So 30 inches, baby. Yeah. Maybe key in that framing before you go building, but I'm sure you oh, already yeah, did that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, just make sure you don't build some cool, cool stuff that's above the, the frame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But gotcha. anyways, that's cool. I'm excited to see how it comes out. I really am. I'm excited, and I keep getting tongue tied this episode. Darn it! I was gonna say I'm excited to see how I'm excited to see how that studio comes out. But I'm more interested in seeing the content that comes out of that space because I know it's gonna enable you guys to do a lot of cool stuff. For sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having it at our disposal. Boom. Make 2020 a year where you explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with classes from Skillshare. Learn about illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more. Yeah, recently I took the class Instagram-worthy photography, shoot, edit, and share by Brandon Wolfel. It went through the whole gamut of what makes a good Instagram post, from the creative behind the actual photo, the equipment it takes to take a good shot, and then finally, best practices around sharing your post. That way it has the best chance to do well on Instagram. Whether you're doing content like us or you're actually building things to sell, Instagram's an amazing marketing tool, so learning more about it was really great. So explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash Modern Maker, where our listeners get two free months of premium membership. That's two free months of premium membership at Skillshare.com slash Modern Maker. Hey, so I hear we got a new sponsor. We do. And it's called Buspoke Post. B-E-S-P-O-K-E Post. Check it out. Really cool. It's a subscription service, but they're not sending you meal planning or any of that kind of stuff. They're just sending you the finest gear to make you just more of a fancy gentleman. What kind of gear? Good question, Michael. We're going to be trying <laughs> out some really awesome stuff. So there's these different kits and you get to pick which one you want. We got one that is related to making cocktails, which is something we like to indulge in. So we're getting Truth. like this like martini shaker and this kind of thing. But there's like a full range to them. The other one that I'm trying out that I'm going to throw into the back of the major, of the maker truck is called the Switchback. And it's this really awesome kit. It has a whole bunch of Rambo type stuff. It has a <laughs> one of those like tactical shovels that you can like chop wood with, saw a tree branch, and dig yourself out of the sand. It's got like a compass. It's got a solar powered light. It's got this badass knife, and then it also has. Have you ever seen the waterproof matches? Yes, and I've always wanted to try them. I don't know. I don't even know how they work. It's like impossible. It's the double stuffed Oreo type cookie of matches. You know, like most matches just have like that little bit of sulfur on the tip and you have to strike it and then it only flares up for a few seconds. These matches and it's in a waterproof little case. It's like all the good stuff. It's all the chemical pyrotechnic stuff. And so what that means is if you're in a situation where you really need to make fire, even if you're in a tropical rainforest or in a... Uh, some sort of like 
horrific rainy storm or hurricane or tsunami thing going on, you could still light these matches. They're that badass. So uh, the whole idea of Bespoke Post, though, is that you can kind of look on the website, pick out these different kits. And if you use the code MAKER20, you're going to get 20% off of your first box or kit. Uh, These things are really cool. What you're really getting here in terms of value is you're getting awesome curation all packaged up. And because they're dealing with this at volume, you're also getting a better price than if you bought these things individually. Yeah, they're really sick. I'm looking at their website right now. And the cool part is they have boxes that are around travel, mixology, cooking, survival, men's grooming, whatever your interest is or whatever niche inside of their product selection that they have, there's a box to fit it. Right. And so what I'm actually really excited about using these kits for staging, right? Whenever we're sort of building out these furniture pieces, you kind of want to make it feel like it's integrated into a lifestyle and not just on an e-commerce website. So this is exactly the kind of stuff that I would use for staging my finished shots because it just looks great and it's very detail oriented and it's all those things. So Chris, you don't really drink and all the ones we got are drinking. So I could start. Either- <laughs> you're either getting a tactical shovel, Mike, you're getting a really awesome copper flask, you know, carry a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of booze on you at all times. And uh, I'm getting the martini shaker. So everyone gets something that's uh, useful. Chris, that that tactical shovel, if if the ridge line needed anything, <laughs> it's, a it's a survival shovel. shovel and a Rambo kit. That's nice. the truth. I'll all take right. it. So one last time, go to. Uh, bespokepost.com and use the Bespoke Post or either one, really. Just make sure you spell it right. And that's with a B-E-S-P-O-K-E post.com and use the code MAKER20 at checkout. All right. So, obsessions. What are you guys into? Ooh. Have you guys like been, have you guys had time to watch stuff? That's all, all anyone has is time now, Chris. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but I'm just kidding. It's I not so for us. It. Like we're still just building mostly. Like yeah, yeah. I'm kind of quarantined in the workshop building stuff. Yeah, similar. What I have been doing is watching episodes of The Office back from ep- started back on season one. Mm. There was really nothing new online, and I just I wanted some stuff that I could kind of have in the background. It's probably like the eighth time watching The Office all the way through. But if anybody doesn't watch it or has seen a couple episodes they thought were funny but haven't done the deep dive, just do it. It's amazing. Let's see. How old were you when The Office came out, Mike? I don't know. I would imagine the first season came out around what two thousand six? Yeah, two thousand ten. It was like two thousand six. So So I probably would have been twelve. It's his Seinfeld. That's what I was gonna say. Is it the same as Seinfeld is to me? Yes. Okay. And Seinfeld is great. I love Seinfeld. So you will love The Office. Oh, I've seen The Office plenty. Oh, well, great. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I think everyone's it. seen The Office. And you love it. <laughs> I damn love Wait, it. Mike, have you been watching Ozark? Yeah, I've uh, watched season a few episodes though. of it. Dude, they came in hot. You remember the Don't first episode of season three? Yeah. The like first minute and a half? Oh, it's a good show. It's, it's, it's a very good show. So check that one out too. Netflix original. What first about like word. any, have you guys listened to like any new podcasts or anything? Actually, here, are, I've, I've, Honestly, I've been cutting with the whole... Actually, first of all, shout out to us for going 42 minutes in before we mentioned coronavirus or quarantine. Hey, there we I go. Thought well, my, maybe not quarantine. Right. I thought my consumption of podcasts was going to go way up. The opposite has happened. It's gone way down because I... One, I've consumed enough news... <laughs> 
way too much about about this. Uh-huh. And I haven't wanted to I've gotten sick of listening to people talk about it, to be frank. Hmm. So my podcast has been way down. I've been watching probably a little bit more television than normal. I've been watching some West Wing, catching up on Briar Patch, things like that. I am debating whether or not to pull the the trigger on this new platform that launched called Quibi, oh, yeah. which to me sounds like a disaster. Well, let me let me give you the pitch as if I was involved with this platform, because I, I when I first heard about that, I thought this was a terrible idea. And so Jeffrey Katzenberg, really famous sort of producer, big, ho- like classic sort of Hollywood producer type person. He teamed up with the former CEO of eBay and they launched a new platform. It's kind of Netflix for short content on your phone. Mm. So YouTube. Like, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm right? just kidding. It's yeah. not free. But highly HBO version of YouTube. Yeah. Got sounds it. like very like highly. One of the videos. shows they're launching with is Chance. They hired Chance the Rapper and they had him. They bought Punk, that that brand. And so they brought oh. back Punk as, you know how Punk used to be? There was like two or three pranks in one thing. Yeah. Now it's just like. Whatever that prank is, that's the episode. So it might be nine minutes. It might be 12 minutes. It might be seven minutes. So they're getting like A plus talent. They're getting like, you know, A type celebrities to do these like six to 12 minute video episodes. Mm -hmm. One of the shows that they're doing is called Flipped. And it's kind of like a parody of HGTV shows, but as a scripted drama. Oh, nice. (laughs) Dramedy. So their bet was that. They basically said, let's create super high, highly produced content directly for the phone in the short amounts of time that people have a lot of in their life. So they sort of said, people don't have a lot of one hour sessions to do nothing. What they have is a lot of like, you know, six to 12 minute sessions. And, you know, it's not producing content like that. A level production and on screen talent. Right. Now, they way overpaid for it. And the problem is they put $2 billion into something that they're charging like 5 to $8 a month, which is if you look at like from just a, a macro perspective, if you're paying what, how much is Netflix, like 15 to $19 a month, something like that, right? Probably. Netflix is spending 10 times more money per dollar that you put in. So it's yeah. like from a value standpoint. So they're betting that their creativity and innovation in formatting will create disproportional value to their investors. And I don't think it's going to work long term, but I'm really excited to learn from these experiments at somebody else's expense. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know they've put a lot of money into marketing. Like I see advertising all over the place. Every other platform that's not that there's been any that's exactly like that, but They've always launched on the backs of like syndicated things or movies or, you know, like already entities that already exist that they buy that's got this catalog of things that people are familiar with and want to watch. And then they introduce the original programming, whereas this is just like all original programming. It seems like it would be hard to have enough content there straight out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not Disney. Like you don't have the vault. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, uh, Disney launched with so many entities. Right. And so that's one yeah. obsession. The other obsession is just purging all the dumbass, ignorant people off of my Facebook li- list that think that 5G <laughs> is giving them coronavirus. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that. I, I'm like somehow sheltered from like oh, most man. news. I went to some, high like, school with some to- dumb people, man. 
Like, it's sad. And it's like, they're so sure of themselves, too. I'm like, I went to school with you. You like... <laughs> you went to school. I know you went to school. Well... Because I went there with you. You were dumb back then. <laughs> and I don't think you've done anything since then. And now you think you understand, like, technology and global economics and... Wait, how okay. many people even have 5G? That's like the super fast one, right? Look, there's a lot of concerns with 5G relative to privacy and all these things that are totally legitimate. And so, yes, be skeptical of all new things that are being like shoved in front of us for the sake of sort of global technological development. That being said, I don't know a lot of things like, but man, you're pretty certain. Don't don't share stuff unless you're absolutely sure. <laughs> there's there's enough dumb, dumb stuff out there. I, 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 I don't think 5G is causing coronavirus. Otherwise, it wouldn't be wiping out. Why they say it does it? This is the first I'm hearing of this. That's why I've I'm seen, not saying. I've anything. seen memes. Oh, man. Like I didn't know that that's what it was even referencing. So I'm kind of putting it together saw, now as you brought it I up. I saw one meme on TikTok, but hit it. So I think it's also it might also be my high school because like my <laughs> high school's like was like we had a lot of people that were like in between genres, right? Like they're they're kind of like in that sublime range, which is like. <laughs> in between so many different genres of music and at a very specific time period like the kids i went to high school with like the dumb ones they're kind of still probably wear like varnay sunglasses and oh, so they're just stuck in it's like a little bit of like 90s? a lot of tattoos like kind of this like weird like white socal kind of vibe that's a little bit like ghetto but they're also probably like have a lot of like expensive atvs and stuff so they're kind of some redneck, some surfer mixed in with some sort of agricultural work. And man, like I, I had to do a really intense purge because there was just one. At first, I was sort of intrigued and like amused by it because it is pretty. It, it It's some Tiger King level science. <laughs> and it was funny. But then it was just it made me so sad because they're like, you know, they have kids and this is what. These kids are being raised in this kind of really ignorant, uh, objectively, provably dumb environment. And that just made me sad. So I went on a Facebook purge and sort of cleaned it all up and got rid of the dummies. Not going to be going to your 25th high school reunion? Uh, I went to my 20th. <laughs> How was it? It was the only one I've been to. It was, it, it was yeah, enough. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been to any. Yeah, it was enough. Some people look exactly the same and are exactly what you want them to be. Like, they're the same person instantly. And it's like, even if you haven't talked to them for 10, 15 years, like, it's just great to see them and doing that. And other people, it's just sad because they're completely unrecognizable and just like sad alcoholic fatties. <laughs> fatties. And that's like, like the, that. the guys and the girls. Way to go, Ben. Coming in with a hot take. Hot takes about... Hopefully not a lot of uh, Santa Barbara High School listeners out there from the, I don't know, 1997 or 1996 graduating class. 97, baby. 97. Let's go Tigers! <laughs> pirates. 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 Let's, Let's go, go Pirates! pirates. <laughs> uh, for mine, I actually will pick a podcast, which uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to it, Mike, but I know you've picked them as an obsession a few times. Good Mythical Morning. But oh, have yeah, you listened yeah. to Rhett and Link's podcast, Ear Biscuits? I have pretty good stuff. Yeah, I've, I've not listened to that many episodes, but I've been listening to a few here and there. And I've been listening to the ones they did like a, I don't know, three or four part kind of thing that was about their spiritual journeys. So I didn't even know this about them that like they were raised super Christian and then were like missionaries and then have basically become, I guess, like kind of agnostic. I'm still partway through 
listening to it, so I don't know how it all ends, but they're very interesting stories. And if you're not into that and you just want to hear like funny stuff, they obviously have a lot of lighter episodes and it's a, it's just like a good, you know, hour long hangout kind of podcast. Right. Oh, Unless it's it. about religion. I was about to say, not. well, give me, give me a then good episode, heavy, baby. Give me something positive. What? Well, give me an episode that was positive. Uh, well, their newest ones. <laughs> Cause they don't, they don't interview people. They, no, it's, it's just, just the, the two, two of them, them together. So, so I've actually listened to mostly like kind of heavier ones. Just uh, it's been like more recent that they've had heavier ones and I've kind of been going back through time in them. So like, obviously some of the newer ones are about like the way that they've had to like change their business and like new setups because of what's going on right now. Right. The one before that, they, they talk a lot about like their childhood and like coming up and, and, you know, stories that obviously would like never make their way or have anything to do with good mythical morning, which seems to be about eating weird stuff. Yeah. So it's, always, it, it's not, it, I guess that's, what's interesting about it is like these two people that you see as like kind of characters in this thing. And then like just hearing them like talk about like their background and like how they got to, to where they are. Yeah, and their considerations on why they did what they did creatively. Right. And the business behind it. Yeah, I was listening to it while they were going through the whole YouTube Originals program where YouTube was funding their show, Good Mythical Morning, to sort of make production improvements and set improvements and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was also whenever they hired them to do the scripted show that they wrote. I don't remember what it was called, but they did two seasons of that for YouTube Red. Mm-hmm. And along that whole time period they were talking about the development they were talking about writing a show that you know is all on them that they're writing directing producing and acting in and all that sort of stuff so it it does do a really good job of sort of peeking behind peeking behind the curtains on people that are doing the youtube grind at such a high level and have been doing it since day one they they're legit like the ogs of the space in a way them and uh charlie bit my finger oh yeah charlie bit my was, finger wow. the OGs <laughs> and the evolution of dance i like morrow yeah. cat oh yeah that's a good one i think we've talked nice. about that here before the cat that jumps out of boxes yeah yeah Type numa of. numa <gasps> okay so my <laughs> <laughs> i love that segue okay <laughs> i was like that one fell flat moving on <laughs> <laughs> my obsession is actually the homeboy mike clifford the channel is Mudustrial oh, maker yeah. you guys know him you love him not only is he working on some really cool projects but he just bought a gigantic building i think somewhere around six thousand square feet in chicago that he is turning into the ultimate make maker live workspace so the second floor he's turning into the apartment where he's going to be living it's going to end up looking really rad um and then in the ground floor he has a sort of separate wood shop and then metal and casting and all of that sort of stuff uh space he's already got a couple of videos out in the space just kind of cleaning up a bathroom yeah that bathroom reno was nice it was fast too in terms of like uh how quickly he got that video out after launching the hey i just bought a gigantic building video so i would recommend doing the warehouse shop tour i don't know what the video is called but check out Medustrial maker he does a great job of walking through it, explaining his plans, and then showing the architectural designs and everything for, yeah. you know, really looping everybody in for what the plan is. Yeah, I think it's just titled, like, I bought an abandoned warehouse. Cool. And I hope it's doing really well. But I, I watched it last week, and I'm excited for him. He's going all in, quit his job to do YouTube full time, got this gigantic space. He really put himself in one of those put up or shut up situations and mad respect for that big time. What's up makers. What's up makers. 
<laughs> All right, guys. Well, we appreciate y'all listening every week, whether it's at work, working at home, on your way to work, or in the workshop. The Modern Maker Podcast is here to stay. If you have any topic suggestions or anything you think we should talk about on the show, maybe even questions that you think we should answer, you can hit us up on Instagram. Ben is at Benjamin Ueda, U-I-E-D-A. Chris is at Four Eyes Furniture, E-Y-E-S. And Mike is at Modern Builds. B-U-I-L-D-S. Thank you, Chris. You nailed it. No Z. No Z. (laughs) (laughs) Should have like three Zs. Yeah, there's going to be like the, yeah. It's like Modern Builds 420. (laughs) Anyways, that would be the guy with the high school one. <laughs> that would absolutely be it. Still, still listening to Sublime, like Mickey's forties. Listen to Sublime and like what's that like motocross brand with like the fox on it? Fox, A fox. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. That's exactly it. But uh, if you want to give us a review on the iTunes app, we really do appreciate it. All it does is let the app know that we're a good show and that they should be suggesting us to people that listen to similar content. Just takes a couple minutes, and we love a five-star review. It really does genuinely help. It's our favorite. But other than that, keep it real, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Later. Bye. Did you notice I waved to the camera? It it makes it come off more uh, natural. It's authentic that way.